catchy. Yeah, I love Jay it. Jay made that. Really? Jay's the man. Jay, you're the man. Yeah, like there was no modifications. He played the first time. I started dancing, and that was it. Like he got me quick. Yeah. I'm so glad I had producer Justin Passamonte. Can't wait for the new studio to be done. Me too. It's gonna be fun. All right, folks. Here we are, and nice winter day. Sun shining brightly right now on the snow. Uh, almost blinding me inside the window. Bob is playing with the GoPro. I'm trying to figure. I have a GoPro, but yours is a seven, and it's much nicer than mine. Yeah, I have the Hero 7 Black I was fortunate to buy last year to help me with my ski videos. It is great for chatter. Like that, I can ski at any speed, and when I come back to put on that computer, I do not have to really mess with that at all. The vibration, it is editable right away. It is, it is amazing technology. Um, so we have it in studio once again. Steve Vandewall is with us today. Uh, this is part two of a session with Steve. Uh, we talked a lot in part one about uh, his transition. Uh, he was one of he helped get Rock Normal going here in Rochester. He was on a previous episode where we talked a lot about that. Uh, we talked about his product line Tiva, uh, which is coming out. When do you when do you think the launch is going to be? Are you looking April? Uh, I think April would be safe. Yeah, hopefully before that, but. Uh I'm, I'm being a little more conservative. That's smart in this industry because yeah. everybody thinks they're going to be there ahead of the game. So, Yeah, I'm a notorious optimist, and uh, I set myself a little bit lofty goal. So I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit safe. I'd say April is, will, uh, is a good good launch date for sure. That's good. I'm happy. And you're rebranding uh, a product line you had out previously, and we talked about really um, you, you love the fact of plant medicine, and you're doing a lot of research. Uh, and, and I forgot to ask you something we talked about previously was, um, are you looking to bring in other things other than the cannabis plant into into your products as well? Uh, things like melatonin or, or other things you're seeing out there to, to yeah. help uh, offset what the cannabis plant does for you? Yeah, very much so. I mean, if you just, you know, look at things like turmeric, for example, excellent for inflammation. You know, my theory is if turmeric Turmeric itself, along with many other herbs, works for inflammation. And cannabis, or full-spectrum cannabis, and specifically CBD works for inflammation. What happens when you take them together? One could only assume that you would get an enhanced anti-inflammatory response. I think, maybe not. But that's, that's kind of what's guiding this, is what happens when you bring these other plants that are, you know, valerian root, for example, is, a, is excellent for sleep. It's been, it's, it's known, it works uh, really well for sleep. What happens when you combine like CBD, a full spectrum cannabis product with valerian root, you know, who, we don't know. Right. But we're very much looking to like full spectrum to me is like encompasses everything, not just cannabis. So like really creating products that encompass a multitude of different types of plants, herbs, all certified organic, um, and really just creating the best, most potent cannabis or plant products out there that money can buy. And real quick, we had mentioned on, pre, on part one, uh, folks go back. He talked about this in more detail. Uh, but you also have a consulting firm, Vandewall and Taylor. So uh, just tell people where they can find you if they wanted to reach out to you to, to get information. Yeah, uh, we've been lucky where we haven't really even needed to have a website or anything that is coming. Um, but we've really been able to establish ourselves a really good book of business just by word of mouth and just being um, everywhere, right? We're at all the hemp events. I try, I travel all around the state attending all these hemp events, shaking hands, meeting people, asking questions. Uh, so I've been very lucky to, to be able to build a book of business um, without really having any traditional marketing tools. You know, I'm sure it would be even better. Uh, but really, if you if you have questions about the industry, you want to get involved, just contact me directly. I'm happy to, to hop on the phone. I'm happy to sit down over a cup of coffee, see what's plagued see if there's a way we can help you know i think at this point our knowledge of 
the our full spectrum knowledge of the industry makes us very uh, a very powerful uh, uh, group, a very uh, very valuable. Um, you know, I have the experience. Kyle has the experience, and we know the industry very well. Um, so whether it's farming, whether it's extraction, whether it's product formulation, whether it's branding, I've, I've done most of it. Um, and if, it, if there's questions that I can't answer, there's a good chance that I have somebody in my inner circle that can. So yeah, long story short, if you have, if you're ever interested in, in consulting or learning how to get into this industry intelligently, reach out, happy to help, happy to have a conversation. I'm glad to have you in the industry like that. Like we said before, the industry really needs people to create partnerships. Uh, and that's really, uh, at the end of the day, what you'll be doing in that role, which is huge, especially in New York State. Because uh, I know Cuomo, uh, one of the things he he's tend to mention a couple of times is he really wants New York State to be a leader in the creation of hemp and hemp products. Uh, and talking about the fact that he wants anything sold in the state, um, potentially as early as May 1st or sometime in May, um, only GMP certified uh, um, products coming out of G- GMP certified facilities will be able to sold in the state, um, which is a big step, uh, especially when we start when we're talking about like we did before craft. Um, when you're talking about um, engineering craft products, um, it still really has to be done in the proper facility. It still can't be done in a barn. It still can't be done right. There, there's a, there's a lot of components to that as well that go with the financial piece. Um, but on a little lighter note, a couple things socially that I think help this plant, right? You posted, I saw on your Facebook a couple weeks ago, and I, and I wanted to hold off because I didn't see it myself. But let's talk about the NFL and Major League Baseball. All right. So first of all, Major League Baseball is the first, and I mentioned it before, they're the first um, large sports organization that has cut out cannabis testing mm-hmm. altogether. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, I mean, and, but, and to piggyback that, they added an opioid program. So they're testing for opioids and providing... Um, they're not going to now, if players are caught using opioids, they're not going to, um, uh, uh, discipline them. They're going to provide them with mentoring and anything they need to get them off of opioids. Um, Imagine that treating addiction like a public health problem instead of a criminal problem. Ain't that something it's, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's long overdue. Shout out to the MLB and all those people who push that through. That's huge. That is will be you that will be something that will is legendary and people should be very happy about that uh, the NFL just released it hasn't been a, it's not official but they just released uh, the new contract bargaining agreement or the collective bargaining agreement and there is a new uh, cannabis protocol which is extremely favorable um, so I think now the dominoes are falling I think you know Tom Brady has spoke up Jerry Jones and the cowboy uh, the owner of the Cowboys has spoke up saying you know essentially this is coming there's no reason it shouldn't uh, the you know it's very these players, you know, the people it seems that the people that need it the most, right? Veterans, professional athletes, right? Very they're you know, the first people to get pills pushed onto them. Here, here's an opiate, here's a psychological pill. Why aren't these people need access to cannabis, right? And you want to talk about recovery, you want to talk about, you know, helping these these players stay healthy and be able to play the game longer and be not have, you know, adverse problems when they lead the league, you have to give them access to cannabis. And I think they're starting to realize, uh, which is huge. So now let's hope, you know, the NFL or the uh, the NBA follow suit. Um, and I know NHL. that, uh, oh, uh, what is it, Harrington? Uh, Al Harrington. Al Harrington yep. is, has a group of people, uh, a group of former players and doctors yep. that are trying to push both yep. the players to Association and educate yeah. um, the NBA. So yeah, I he's know a great that that's activist. happening. He's a great activist. He's yeah. done a lot for the space. 
It's been great. So I'm going to read to you real quick. So the second piece of this, folks, is even is even more huge. So Major League Baseball, number one, that's that's phenomenal. And the fact that they're targeting opioids, um, pharmaceutical companies everywhere should be cringing. Uh, the NFL players would no longer face the possibility of being suspended from games just for testing positive for marijuana under a proposed collecting bargaining agreement approved by team owners and circulated to the players on Thursday. I cannot see where they're going to be against it. Uh, the new policy being floated for approval by the NFL Players Association would also reduce the number of players subject to testing for cannabis and narrow the window when tests can be administered from the current four months to just two weeks at the start of training camp. What you think about it, folks? That means they have all year to use it. If that's, that's just two weeks. But the problem with that is, and Steve, I wanted to see if you if this popped up in your head too. Um, so there's two weeks you can be tested, but really it's 30 days or so or 45 days it can stay in your system. So so I, I was curious of your take on that piece of it. Uh, yeah. So one part of that is they did increase the nanogram limit from like, and I don't know exactly, it was like 30 to 120. It's in that post. It was like the last point of that 35 post. to 150 nanograms. Yep. Yep. Um, so that's good. Um, I think we have to get away. I, I think we're starting to, people are starting to realize like, Testing THC testing is not a representation of like uh, impairment, right? We know that THC specifically is a fat soluble molecule. It can stay in your, it can be detected in the human body up to uh, 30 days, right? So two weeks, I think is, I think that'll grow. It's still progress. Um, but, you know, the example I like to, to use is, you know, what if today I smoked a joint and then for the next seven days, I didn't touch cannabis at all. What if, you know, next week at this time I'm driving to work and I look down to change the radio station and I happen to swerve over the yellow line, right? Completely on accident. There's a cop behind me, pulls me over, said, you swerved over the yellow line. You must be impaired. I'm going to uh, take take your blood or your, your, your piss. And it tests hot for THC. Is THC responsible? Is that grounds for an impairment or a DUI? Absolutely not. So this is why we have to get away from, you know, mere presence of THC in your blood or in your urine, because it's not an effective uh, measurement. Uh, but still shout out to them for, you know, uh, pushing this initiative, increasing the nanogram limits, but hopefully we get to a point where it's not even a question. Like hopefully these players can openly smoke cannabis, can openly consume cannabis without ever having to worry about a uh, penalty or anything like that. But yeah, it's a huge move to have uh, the NFL make a move like that. It's huge. And to me, that's the most important of all the leagues um, because that's where the bodies are taking the worst impact. Agreed. And I believe there's some science to the fact that cannabis you know, may help concussions or, or at yep. least the recovery of those, um, which is the worst thing that players, but I mean, you can name more players that I, I know Calvin Johnson has been, uh, Chris Long, both retired NFL players have both been highly outspoken about this, um, and saying how they used it through their careers. Yeah. Gronk. Um, yeah. Gronk. Uh, I mean, uh, there's, there's so many people now that just understand the benefits. Um, so it's huge. Um, so now let's talk about your advocacy. So you went from rock normal. And now you're, you said you're kind of a rogue ad advocate and then you're in Albany talking to some big people their ways and means committee. I mean, some financial people, how did you get yourself from, from, from there to, to being in Albany on that stage? Um, <clears throat> so the, uh, the two houses announced that they were doing kind of this two week week hearing session um, that was going to talk about all the different aspects of the budget, economic development, taxes, etc. And I've been my advocacy efforts. This session have been 
pretty much entirely focused on uh, improving the current tech structure because it does affect everything else, right? It's fundamentally important uh, to industry growth, to community reinvestment, to building the craft industry, etc. Uh, so that's really my efforts have been. And I'm not a tax attorney by any means, but um, luckily my, my, my colleague, Jason Klimek, is a really bright guy and he's a tax attorney and he actually wrote this uh, incredible data-driven tax proposal that really looked at the other states that have legalized by the numbers um, and created you know, this trend where we got to see, okay, this is where uh, this states like Colorado, who started with a lower tax rate, they've done really well. States like California, who after Prop 64 had an effective tax rate of 40%, their industry's crumbling. So it was able to really create this this trend, right? This data that uh, we've been used in, you know, a lot of our talking points and looking to uh, fix the proposed tax structure. So um, I actually just applied. Uh, they had like you could apply to to give a testimony, um, and I applied. I said this is what I want to present. Here's my my testimony. They said, "All right, you're, you're great." So actually, that day I was the only person to speak on cannabis, which I was surprised. I figured they would have had a ton of people there, but um, I was the only one to give testimony that day in regards to taxes. So f- from some of the conversations I've had from my contacts and the executive branch and in the legislative branch, it sounds like they are listening and they are working on amending it. Are we going to get exactly what we want with the tax structure we want? No, it's New York, right? We're known for for high taxes. But getting creeping towards that 30% tax rate compared to 46% would be a huge win. Uh, But yeah, I think they've been very receptive to it. And I hope that, you know, if and when we get a bill passed that, uh, you know, my testimony and a lot of the the work that a lot of the other other advocates have been doing in this space, uh, I think their efforts will come to fruition. So that's amazing. So this is this is how this industry works, folks. You just randomly decided, oh, I can I can go up there and request and bring the information that I have gathered yep. through through smarter people than than me, right? I mean, you said you're not a tax guy, you're not a financial guy. You're the last person most people would expect to even sit in that room to try and convince people of of an issue that's going to happen if the legislation doesn't get written a certain way. Yeah, I think you make a good point. I think you know my role in this industry is to convey difficult top is to really to be an educator um, to a lot of, you know, the uh, legislators to be able to talk to them in terms that they can understand. Because if I just went up there and started talking, you know, 280E this and technical term this and yada, 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 you know, they're not going to listen to me. But when you can tell the story and say, oh, by the way, here's this whole technical report that coincides with this story. I found that, you know, learning how to communicate with these folks has been just imperative to making progress. So it's definitely been, uh, you know, a lot of things I've learned in the advocacy world over the last couple of years, like how to communicate with, you know, politicians, the shorter, the better, the briefer, the better, you know, and it's just like, it's a whole different way of communication. So yeah, it's just learning how to to communicate and educate these folks without getting too emotionally involved, being data driven and just being, being able to to tell the story to a way. I mean, most of these folks, a lot of people get really pissed off at politicians for, how do you not know this? You're ignorant. They have a million other things on their plate that they have to know to the nth degree. Cannabis is just one teeny tiny piece of the pie, right? And a lot of the time they rely on their staffers. So we have to go to them with all this high level information, be able to condense it down into a five minute testimony and not only be able to have it, you know, make sense and succinct, but have them absorb it to the point where they want to talk to us after the fact. So it seems like that has worked really well. They've been really receptive, but like, you know, 
my there's a bunch of different advocacy strategies some people prefer you know there's strategies where you know you bring a group whole group of people and you get a lot of press and you do press conferences that's one way that's a that's a really good way to get coverage i find that you know the closed door meetings the having the technical conversations getting you know being able to get a politician's ear for 30 minutes to an hour is very difficult but if you are lucky to be one of those people that gets granted that time and you can convey that information i've seen like i've seen many epiphanies happen before my eyes to people who knew nothing about cannabis. You give them a 15 minute pitch. Here's the data. They're like, holy crap. I, how did I not know this? And it's like, you know, we can't expect them to know everything, but as long as we're, we now have, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm very lucky to now seem to have a seat at uh, a couple different tables in the advocacy realm and in the political realm. So yeah, now it's just about getting this bill over the damn finish line once and for all. So. All right, let's talk about that little more in depth. Bob and I broached on it a couple of times. Um, but you're you're at the table. So so let's talk about what's upcoming, what bill is on the table now, what you do like and don't like about it um, as far as how we think. So, so you keep saying uh, it looks like the next month or two months it's going to pass. And, and we're talking about it looks like processors are going to be put over to the Department of Health. Uh, Ag and Markets is still going to kind of watch over the farmers. Uh, but uh, And then with the eye out on a Department of Cannabis Management with the, when REC turns legal. Yep. So right now there are really two bills in question, two programs. One is the CRTA, which is the Cannabis Regulation and Taxation Act, and that's Governor Cuomo's bill. And the other one is the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act. That's uh, Senator Kruger's and Assemblywoman uh, People Stokes bill. Um, so what happens the way the New York state politics works is that the governor introduces the 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 budget uh, in January, and in that budget is an ent- whole bunch of other types of, of sub bills and expending bills and omnibus spending bills, yada yada. And because cannabis has such a profound economic impact, um, it's been nestled into this budget, and it's strategically done because it allows people who may not, you know, be, so let me back up for a second. When it goes to the legislature, so after, after the budget gets passed on April 1st, now we'll start, the legislature will start introducing their bill. So that's when we would see the MRTA. The difficulty was that is as a standalone bill, that if you support that and you vote for it, it's, you can't, you, your name's on it. So, uh, Republicans in New York State have come out completely against legalizing cannabis for political reasons, right? But we know, we have inside information knowing that if it was put into the budget, that people could vote in favor of the budget indirectly supporting cannabis. So it's a really a strategic vehicle to pass cannabis with the budget because it allows people who wouldn't want to put their name on a cannabis bill to vote for it indirectly. Right. So it's a strategic. And the problem is, is that this is now Governor Cuomo's bill and it looks more it's more in line with the type of things that he wants. Um, the good news is, is that his version of the, the CRTA this year is much better than last year. It includes home grow. Right. So the medical if you get a medical card right right now, um, if it, the bill were to pass, if you get a medical card, you can now grow up to four uh, cannabis plants. Right. Home grow. That's great. We didn't have home grow last year. The pro- it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. There, there was a big debate internally yeah. with them. Yeah, but you, but the caveat, the caveat is mandatory in-home inspections. <sighs> like literally, you want to. Gr- there's multiple caveats there because there's another one that nobody's even going to think about. But go ahead. Well, yeah. Essentially, what you do is you get a plant and that, or you get your your medical marijuana card and you start your grow, and then some peace officer, who knows if it's going to be a cop, is going to come into your house and expect your grow operation. But first of all, who? You know, we look at the hemp industry, right? Wait. And if you have a medical marijuana card in New York, 
you can't have a gun permit. So you know what this is going to do is, right now, there's no really double check. So if you had a gun permit, and then you're going for medical marijuana card, I think people are getting it. But technically, you're not supposed to have both. Okay, so now by having these peace officers going to these homes, those people will not have guns anymore. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how that's going to work out because I, I, it's like one of those things where why, why if you can prescribe me opiates or something, why am I still allowed to own a gun? Like, okay, I'm all about consistency, but if you're going to subject cannabis users, medical cannabis users to not being able to own a gun, right? A constitutional right that needs to be enforced for all medications, which it never will be. Um, but it's a huge debate and it's something that doesn't even need, it's such a, at this point, it's kind of a, a, a moot point and kind of a, a straw man argument that the, the, the prohibitionists are using every possible last resource they can to try to scare people away from legalization. That's the nail on the head. That's why the 46% tax rate. That's why all these states are still making mistakes because there's still people out there trying to put the roadblocks up from this really being in all our hands. Oh, man, this is... I don't like that. I don't... I specifically do not like that because I was warned a year and a half ago by someone that he was going to tie everything cannabis related to guns. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I don't really know. And I apologize. I'm, not, I'm a little uneducated on exactly what, how the whole relationship between guns and cannabis works. I don't know if, if it's, I, I don't, I don't really know how it works. So I, I don't want to say something incorrect, but yeah, they're using that. There was some uh, Republican Senator in New York state that made this relatively viral Facebook video last year that came out and said, just to let everybody know, if you legalize cannabis, you're going to lose your guns. Well, guess what? That was incorrect. And that was propaganda and it's been weaponized over and over in our, in organizations like, Sam, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, are using stuff like that, and they're very well-funded to push scare taxes to keep people away. Unfortunately, or fortunately for us, the momentum is so strong, and people see through the bullshit at this point that these organizations, in my opinion, are just going to be remembered merely as a stain um, on our culture. Kevin Sabat, the founder of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, will be remembered as a stain on our culture. Um, I would love to talk to him in person. He would never talk to any any pro-cannabis activist on stage in a debate because he would get demolished and his career would be over. And I would challenge him to get on a stage with me or any one of these activists in New York State and they won't, right? There's a reason they hide behind their walls, that keep their donors. They don't disclose their donors because they we know who's funding these folks, right? Whether it's big alcohol or tobacco or pharma, I don't, I'm not sure, but you are getting well-funded to the tune of millions and millions of dollars, right? And you haven't disclosed who's giving your money. They say it's because they want to protect their donors. No, it's because you're fueled by corporate interest. We know this, right? So it's... Uh, it's great, though, that the I think the cannabis industry is almost helping to unveil all of that even mm -hmm. further. Right. Like yeah. we all kind of knew that this there was a veil behind but the government was kind of behind a veil. Right. Like we knew it in the 80s. maybe Reagan. We were OK because that era was so great. But after Reagan, the Bushes and then the, the whole um, no nuclear bombs found in, in Iraq ever since then, you know, general population, uh, I think, 
it's been a more of a, okay, there's a veil, like we don't know everything, but the cannabis industry, I think in general, is helping to pull yes. back that veil. One after, it's pulling back the layers of like the many lies and like all this misinformation that the government, that the government has put in front of our face for so many years with, with pharmaceutical drugs, with agriculture, with the way our food's treated, all this stuff we're starting to realize, wow, there's a huge, uh, not a lot of trust in government right now. And cannabis has, you know, cannabis is so unique. It, it's like, has this really, you you know, unexplainable phenomenon, you know, very phenomenal way of like bringing people together in almost like a spiritual way, but it also has this very unique way of like kind of exposing and like you said, pulling back the layers of all these myths, truths and lies that we've been hearing and feeding to us and that have been ingrained in us for our lives are starting to realize, wow, a lot of the things that we've been taught in our lives has been a lie. Look at cannabis, you know, the rhetoric around, you know, the old uh, propagandized rhetoric around cannabis, like causes schizophrenia, you know, all this. It's a lie. It was a lie. And it was a strategic lie to keep people away because I think there's something about cannabis. Cannabis makes people free thinkers. And the last thing, it's very hard to control free thinkers, right? And when more when this becomes normalized and it's more accessible, more free thinkers are going to start popping up. And all of a sudden, more people are going to be aware that we have to be very careful of the institutions that we trust on and put our faith on because they're not always doing things in our best interest. I watched the, there's a little bit of a tangent, but not really. I watched a documentary on Woodstock, but it was a very interesting one. It was a one about the actual footage of Woodstock and I understood some of the components of it, but they were talking, getting snippets of the people who put on Woodstock, right? And how it had to change from one venue to another. But the federal government wanted to shut down that event so badly. Like they brought in helicopters, I didn't realize at one point, to monitor what was going on. And they were trying to like get information out of there to shut it down to the point where the town, when it got to the point where there was not enough food for the people there, the federal government was going to use that as a reason to shut it down. Yeah. Now what 9 million people or whatever it was crazy amount of Woodstock, the townspeople emptied their pantries and you see in the video people eating like out of bean cans, Love like it. passing it. Like someone would take like three scoops, four scoops of beans out of a can and pass it down to the next person in line. Like to me, to me, that is such a, like a dichotomy of like what people in that environment, like they didn't care they were muddy. They were cold. There wasn't enough food. The energy, the music and cannabis was like, like there was joints being passed oh, yeah. everywhere around that place. And, and there wasn't one fight. There wasn't no uh, no violence in that environment, but the federal government, if they had their comeuppance, would have shut that thing down and tried no a couple of times during that festival. Yeah, it's... Uh... <laughs> There's a huge movement politically right now that, you know, even it goes beyond cannabis, it seems like it's very much first the, the people versus the government at this point, you know, the left first, right, whatever you want to call it. But it's really like the people are uniting, you know, whether it's through cannabis, whether it's through all these other, you know, political and legal initiatives and like helping to like elevate people who have historically not ever had voices, you know, so communities of color, underserved farmers, women and minority businesses, veterans, all this whole group of people that really are not white men, right? And you're seeing this huge momentous snowball of just us, you know, Bernie Sanders is a really good, you know, uh, um, uh, he, Bernie Sanders has really been uh, kind of his ability to like create a movement, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, how 
political you are. I haven't, picked, you know, I, yeah. I, I follow it, but I, I try to stay pretty neutral. Um, just your ability to like a true grassroots movement where we, you can unify people across the entire country. You can generate millions of dollars in campaign funds of like small micro donations because you have so many people who believe in like the betterment of humankind. And a lot of that is ingrained in cannabis. A lot of people that believe in cannabis generally want to see humankind survive in like a, a general it'd be better. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just really powerful when you start to look at cannabis and just the overarching political movement and like the momentum, it's just very, it's, it's, it makes my heart feel good to see how many people are really uniting for the sake of humanity. Um, and you know, it'll be cool to see what happens, you know, over the next couple of years. And one of the guys that Sanders is, is going up against in these primaries is a, the former mayor of New York city, who was one of the problems of, of, the old, if you see someone smoking, you can go up and, and, and bust them. Uh, the, the old stop and frisk. Yeah. The stop and frisk. And now he's up against Sanders nationally, which is so funny to me. Um, so I'm bringing this back to, um, the tax issues within the state, how they want to use this 46% tax rate or whatever tax rate they, they finally agree upon. Um, but tell me a little bit, I struggle with this. Like, how do you really, put these money back into these communities and give it back to people that have been affected by it without giving them like a check. Like what's, what's legitimate. How do you find the pockets of these people? Like, like, do you have ideas? Because I struggle internally to say, yes, I get it. And I get it that this needs to be, especially in New York city, that stop and frisk program. I've given numbers in the past. You can listen to the past episodes on the, on the numbers. It's disgusting how many people were, were arrested because of that and, and their families affected negatively. Um, what kind of, ideas maybe or have you heard in the circles you've been around yeah i definitely don't think that just giving people money is a way to build happiness and it will by no means even make a dent in the decades long of oppression that these communities have faced there's no amount of money or anything you can do to take that back um, and I don't, th and I think when we talk about community reinvestment, I think we, we, instead of like, you have to put, if you're going to do it, put it into community programs, like, okay, first things first education, right? If we're going to put money in, if we're going to use cannabis, uh, to raise an exorbitant amount of tax money, we need to be putting it into schools. We need to be putting it into infrastructure, after school programs, addiction treatment programs, like helping kids and folks in these communities get better access to, to things that everybody else has access to, right? Educate basic things that everybody should have access to good quality education. The Rochester, Rochester in particular would benefit immensely from community reinvestment because our school district is it's the worst school district in the state and one of the worst school districts in the country. First thing, what I would do is put money back into it to education. But I think when we start talking about social equity, it goes even deeper than that. Like as a business owner, there's no more true freedom than owning your own business and being independently wealthy. And I think we need to be focusing on rather than just giving out financial handouts, right? Which I think are could be necessary, especially in, you know, when education and infrastructure and stuff like that, teaching these folks how to enter this industry, how to be business owners and how to create their own wealth. We don't want to, we, 
we shouldn't have to rely on government handouts, especially from the center. We want people to be able to, to you know, have their own little micro businesses, be able to have their own little cultivation facility, their own little retail store. Is everybody going to qualify to you know be a business owner? No, it's very it's very difficult to be a business owner, right? Entrepreneurship and business ownership is difficult, and cannabis and business ownership is very difficult, just by the the array of uh, uh, of obstacles you have to to overcome. But when you look at communities where you start to have you know small businesses popping up, what that does for the community and the people in that community is unbelievably powerful. I think Ithaca, New York, is a really great example of that. It's a beautiful city. It's invi- It's a. Uh, they're very environmentally conscious. They have a, a robust uh, small business infrastructure, and it's just a beautiful, clean city. And everybody sees. There's not a lot of poverty. There's not a lot of crime, and that's can happen here, but you have to really take fundamental, uh, you have to plant the seed before you can ex- expect a flower. And I think, it, you know, what I'm trying to get at is we have to teach people how to become independently wealthy. That comes with education, that comes with, you know, inc- incubators and advising ships and, you know, being able to help people navigate through this industry and become business owners and be able to make a living for themselves and be self-sustainable. You know, and I, I, I've never been a proponent of handouts. I'm a, uh, I'm a big proponent. You know, I, I, I do believe in can't, I am a capitalist. I'm a conscious capitalist, right? And I think part of that is teaching people how to be business owners and becoming independently wealthy. That's how I would do it. Anyway. I like it. Those are, those are very, very valid points. And basically, you're talking about empowering people. Yes. You're, you're talking about putting economic uh, them empowerment in situations for them to succeed. Yes. And, and find out what their strengths are, because not everybody's strengths the same. Uh, some person's strength may be helping social media for a company or, or being an Instagram like a, a, a influencer. Like yeah. it could be uh, you're actually going and in, interning at a company and then end up getting a job out of it and going through that sacrifice. Uh, one, all right, one of the things that, that I noticed is back in the day when I was in college, you went to internships, no, no paid. You basically were trying to scramble. You had an internship and another job to get through the summer. Um, and, and now the structure's changing. Internships are expecting pay. And, and, and so you create situations where you can go back. And now CCFL is creating a program for cannabis. Uh, we have the SUNY Marshall is creating a program for cannabis. Uh, and, and both are good for non-traditional students. You could be any age to go take some classes. You don't even have to go to get a degree. Yeah. But you show you want to be in the industry. Take these classes and educate yourself. Uh, and there are ways, certainly, that through marketing um, or growing operations or in processing that there's going to be jobs available. Yeah. And I, you know, shout out to those or those colleges and universities in New York who are already taking a step, you know, I think Binghamton's on its way, FLCC, Cornell, like Larry Smart and his crew at Cornell are doing some amazing work and they're going to benefit from this immensely. You know, the problem is, is that not all these, you know, when you rely on federal funding, you can't really start to talk about cannabis because you'll be at risk of losing that funding. But, you know, teaching people how to, you know, anything, it doesn't even have to be growing, processing or selling cannabis. Every, it could be how to start a podcast. It could be how to be a graphic designer, how to, you know, be a social media manager, like creating essentially like a community incubator. You know, I would, my dream would be to, 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 to start a cannabis community uh, incubator in Rochester, right. To be able to have people of all, uh, shape sizes, you know, uh, backgrounds, everybody, right? Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, black, white, who cares? It, people, all people are welcome. What do you want to do? How can we help you, right? And maybe you're not going to be a billionaire oligarch, right? But maybe you can make a living where you don't have to worry every day about where your next meal is coming from. And maybe you can actually like have, you know, a little bit of freedom. So, it, I mean, it's, it's lofty, but it is possible. Uh, but you have to invest in your communities first, Um you know, if you really want to see, you know, 
true success and you want to see true progress, you have to figure out where in our communities or where on this planet are people seeing the most hardships. And you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And if you can start to reinfuse knowledge and wealth and resources and infrastructure into these communities, everything around them is going to is going to improve too. So, um, so with your experience at Albany, I get asked this question a lot. So, so I'll ask it to you. What do you think the timetable is, and, and what do you think is realistic that's going to get passed in your state this year? Oh man! Um, so hey, hey, just gut feel. I, I, we all know this is this could be anywhere, but I'll tell you. I think. I am an optimist for April 1st. I think, you know, the governor just announced he's going to be doing a a countrywide tour visiting the legal states, California, Colorado, Illinois, and Massachusetts to see what worked and what hasn't. Um, I think that's great. Could be a political move. You know, my optimism said, yeah, he's listening and wants to actually see what's uh, what's working. The skeptic part of me says it's just a political move. So if it doesn't pass through the legislature, he can say, hey, I tried. Right. And have picture, you know, so who knows? No, but you know what? We'll know very quickly after he makes that trip, because we all as people within the industry understand that what the has worked or not. Let's see what he brings back. Yeah. And I, I think that it'll be very the fate of cannabis legalization will be very telling based on the tweaks that are made in the CRTA and the MRTA version C. Um, if it's all going to come down to money, unfortunately, it, people have tried to talk their way around it. It's not about money. It is. It is all about money. Um, a lot of people are afraid to talk about that, but we shouldn't be afraid to talk about that. There's a lot of money involved and it can do a lot of good and it can help a lot of people, uh, a lot of people that really could need it, really need it. Um, but it, the technical side, like how much money are we actually going to allocate up front? Do we allocate any up front or do we work it out in regulations? Do we work it out in two years? I don't know. I think all branches of the, you know, the Senate, the House and the governor have to, we have to treat this like a business deal. This is a negotiation, right? It can't be all or nothing because if it happens again, if it doesn't get passed this year, New York will officially have missed the boat. The, all the states around us are legalizing. If a Dem gets elected, then they could federally legalize. And we know people are not going to just flock to New York to set up businesses here because it is very expensive. We're going to set up businesses outside of New York and we're going to end up looking like the re- we're going to be the retail center of the cannabis world. And there's not long-term wealth in that, right? You right. want to be able to teach people the, you know, we, we need the opportunity for, 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 to thrive is now, uh, it was John Gruber, John, John, Gru- Jonathan Gruber. I think uh, he was an MIT, uh, a Ford professor of economics at MIT uh, and re- recently wrote a book called Jumpstarting America. Essentially what he did is he looked at a hundred of the, 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 big, small cities, the not, not New York, the not LA's, not Boston's, the Rochester's of the world, and did all these economic metrics to determine which city is on the cusp of the next big growth spurt, right? The next tech innovation. You know what city was poised to be the next te- uh, Silicon Valley, essentially? Rochester, New York came in at number one. So we, they really think, you know, what, what we have the infrastructure, we have the academics, we have the old industry of infrastructure with Kodak and Bausch and Xerox. What we really need is like uh, to get, you know, a, a jump start, right? We thought it was going to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not optics. The, yeah, uh, yeah. The, you're right. The optics technology, the the small. Uh, the, what's that? I've drawn a blank. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Pho- ethanol photons. Yeah, photons. Uh, yeah. And before that was an ethanol plant they were going to put, right? Yeah. HFL had an ethanol processing plant, yeah. right? I think cannabis is, is what this city needs. If cannabis is implemented correctly, Rochester will be, in my opinion, in the next five years a destination city. No doubt. I agree with that. And, and the reason why I agree is 
I agree with the transportation piece of it. I agree with the fact that the Finger Lakes are a good growing area. There's a lot of farmland around Rochester. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of former. There's a lot uh, Hilton up by the lake. Yeah. There's farmland. There's farmland uh, abundant in the Rochester area. Um, I believe that really all you're lacking is the banks to cooperate. Um, the processors. Um, I, I kind of actually agree with you there. Uh, there's nothing that would prevent it except for taxes in the banks. Yeah, banks is huge. I mean, we don't even really know the true value of a cannabis dollar right now because, you know, all the money that's getting reported, you know, the $1.72 billion, I think it was, that Colorado generated last year, which is very impressive. How much of that was probably mostly cash, right? How much money is actually, that's not what's being reported. There's no money in and I mean, this is still a very loosely finan, financially loose uh, industry, right? Money's not being, you know how cash businesses work. So we don't really even know the true magnitude of like the, the, tr the whole financial picture of what this industry will bring. But how can you expect to have a craft, a growing industry like the beer and wine industry if you don't have access to banking? The good news is, is, you know, there's, there's banks out there like Canadago National Bank. You know, they, I bank with them. They have uh, entered into the hemp industry. They've taken a lot of good steps. They've educated themselves. It's a great bank to work with. I highly recommend working with them. Um, but the, you know, it's it's the small state credit unions where their assets are really tied up within the state. Because any time that if you're a you know a bank, for example, a Bank of America who has uh, you know assets all over the world, be, the second if cannabis is legal in New York State, the second that it crosses over the uh, over a state boundary, it becomes essentially federal drug trafficking, right? Which is why huge banks can't touch the industry because they have assets all over the country and world. But if you're a small bank and all your assets are really just within the state and if your state has a legal cannabis program you should be able to operate you know not risk-free but with less risk especially if the government you know what we really need is the state or like a states act to come through that says the federal government will not interfere with states who have legal cannabis programs if we can get that that doctrine right that promise like some sort of memo or like the the coal memo for example mm-hmm then we can start to have banking. But, you know, when you keep, banks are obviously very risk averse. And if they even have the slight, you know, a slight chance that the feds could come in and, and you know, take them over or do an investigation, they're not going to touch it. And I don't blame them. So we have to be able to, you know, allow these banks to come in. State credit unions would be, this is how little banks are going to become medium and big banks by getting in the cannabis industry intelligently. You know, there's a lot of compliance stuff you have to go through. There's a lot of education that you have to go through, but it can be done correctly. You know, Candigo National Bank has proven that you can do that correctly. So um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I definitely think that, you know, Cuomo's no fool, you know. I don't always agree with his politics, and uh, you know, but he's no fool. And if he understands, and if the legislature sees that, you know, this is going to be a, a powerful revenue generating tool, my guess is that they're going to put a lot of efforts uh, into banking. Um, I actually met with Senator James Sanders for about an hour when I was in Albany last week, the day before I gave my testimony. Um, and he sits on the banking committee and he says, you know, one of the things that we've really been working on is how can we solve this cannabis banking problem in New York? Because if we can implement poster, you know, gold standard legislation, right, gold standard policy and have a and banking infrastructure that's ready to go. The, what this it's going to be a it's going to be a jolt of 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 whatever you know this state it'll be very beneficial for the state is where I'm going and uh, you know that's right and it's good to hear that there's people in the know having these discussions because that's the biggest challenge mm. yeah and it's complicated you know it's very I can't even imagine like 
you know, I can, you know, I'm, I'm not a financial expert. I don't know fin- true financial policy. It's not my, 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 my area of expertise, but you know, if there's, there are really a lot, a lot of smart people in the government that I just hope that they, you know, come to us and say, Hey, you be our subject matter experts. We'll, we'll help. We'll navigate through the policy and stuff. But if we can really create a cooperative, a very collaborative, you know, act activists meets politicians so we can help, you know, kind of solve the banking problem, solve the farming problem, help with like the, the industry build out the application process, all that stuff. There's no doubt that we can have the best bill in the entire country, which mark my words, if we do it the right way, it will be the gold standard that the rest of the states will have to legalize. And any politician that's got their name on that, that is a very good political move. I agree. And I, and I do like the piece where he wants to make, uh, speaking of Cuomo, because I'm not a fan of him, but I like the piece where he wants to make SUNY uh, a research center that's, for cannabis. It's a great idea. Um, it's To me, that having that foundation that no other state that I'm aware of has set up yep. or is even talking about could put New York state as the leaders, because that means the information will come out first here. It'll be from um, obviously cooperative companies that are working with SUNY to provide products, to provide the materials. Um, it is going to go a huge leap, but how are you going to pay for the office of cannabis management and how are you going to pay for the research at the SUNY? Those are the two things, the only two things I'm sitting back to see. And then secondly, People have to remember, if April 1st this legislation, this legislation comes out and we have legal recreational THC, it is going to be a while before we have products, folks. It is not going to happen overnight. A year and a half, do you think? Before Say about really, a year. I see. For dispensaries to have good quality. It's not for dispensaries to be open. Because remember, Massachusetts had some dispensaries open and you couldn't get anything but flour in several of them because they're... And, and a, gummies that I bought at a dispensary there, you open it up and the sugar packet was separate from the gummies because the company that created them still couldn't figure out how to get it right in yeah. the packaging because they were so quick to try and get to market. Yeah. So, yeah. So what will happen? Let's just, let's uh, assume that it gets passed on April 1st. Um, what will happen after that is it will now we'll have the creation of the Office of Cannabis Management. So you'll have the executive director who is likely to be Norm Bierenbaum, who's uh, who came over from Rhode Island. Um, and you're going to have a board of five people and that'll be all appointed by the governor. Um, and from there you'll start the licensing process. So first, before we even, you know, the industry rolls out, you have to be able to give people licenses and, you know, you have to create an application pro you have to create an application, you have to create an application process. You have to appoint the people that are going to run this show and then you have to start giving licenses. So there's a lot of administrative stuff that has to happen first. Uh, but the good news is, is we know how to do that. You know, we looked at, you know, Illinois has had a great rollout so far. Uh, Massachusetts has had a, a decent, a pretty decent rollout. Their social equity and economic empowerment programs really, there was a lot of rhetoric around how they were going to pursue that, but it's really, really been more just language instead of action. So uh, we really want to be able to have a really solid rollout, uh, be able to make good on our promises of social equity and economic empowerment. And hopefully, I'd say a year, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful. I think that we could probably start to see uh, an industry set up, at least a a few businesses in under a year. But remember, even if you were going to get a license today, you still got to grow the plant. So it's like, there's a, it, it, it takes time. You know, that's just the ag side of it. But I'd say, uh, I'd say about a year you'll start, uh, probably April 1st, probably April 1st, 2021 is when you'll really start to see businesses pop up would be my guess. Yeah. And because once April 1st comes out, there's going to be a licensing process. They don't haven't even decided how they're going to give out dispensaries, uh, how they're going to work the yep. processing side of it. Yep. You know, there's a lot of components to this um, just to make everybody aware. It's not just one of those things that you're going to snap your fingers and it's going to come together. Yeah. And we, we still, uh, 
um, like there's, it's going to be tiered licenses. So it'll be based on uh, canopy size, which is uh, much better than plant count, especially when you start to look at things like uh, vertical farming and hydro and stuff like that. You can really put a lot of uh, plants um, in under, under a small roof. So if you were just, you know, so for example, my friends at STEM cultivation, you know, you know, STEM, uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, so they do. Uh, yeah, you, I'll uh, send you some information Wait, on them after this. You. But uh, they uh, essentially do vertical hydro grow boxes, and they grew last in their recent test run. They grew 480 plants in 380 square feet, um, and produced 92 pounds of trim flower. You that's, could that's never good. do that in traditional growing at 380 square feet. I mean, it's literally. It's, yeah. it's probably the size of this room. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you know, that's canopy size will be great. And then it'll be like, okay, if we get canopy size and like if you're 5,000 feet of canopy space and below, maybe you have a tier one license or a micro license. And then, you know, 5,000 and one feet to 20,000, that's tier two, whatever it looks like. So after that, we'll start to see tiers and it'll do, that's a whole other process. So it is very complicated. Um, but, you know, I think we're on the right track to doing it the right way, hopefully. A lot of information. You've been phenomenal. I appreciate you. Uh, we're going to have you on again. It's not going to be a big of a gap next time. We're going to have Absolutely, you on. Yeah, yeah, like coming on. So we're definitely going to have you on. We'll probably do it tied with the legislation when it comes out within the next yeah. month or so. Yeah, happy to come back and do a legislative roundup or something or give a summary. You know, Yeah, uh, 100%. Know. Yeah. No. Uh, so, Bob, you got anything that, that, that we missed? Other than it's been a, a great couple episodes here. Yeah, very much so. No, I'm just uh, reading. <clears throat> Excuse me some of the lead in or the preference of this Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Garber, Gruber, Goober. Yeah. Goober. Oh, the author He's, that yeah. Steve mentioned He's earlier. Pretty, yep. I had a feeling Bob was intense. digging into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I might want to read more about that. Excellent. So, so we'll make sure Bob has some of that information to feed us for the next couple episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, he actually gave a talk at, at Simon, um, at Simon School of Business, and mm -hmm. I got to get a book from him and stuff. So I have I, I have the book if you ever if you're interested in reading. It's really sure. good. Yeah, it's uh the American uh, jumpstarting American. American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's great. Definitely be interested. Cool. Yeah. Well, for everybody, uh, remind everybody how they can find you uh, in all ways before we wrap this up. Yeah. So if you want to get a hold of me, I'm very active on social on Facebook. I'm, that's really the only platform I work on. So you can find me at Steve Vanderwall on Facebook. Uh, you can check me out on my website, stevevanderwall.com. Spell your last name. It's a little uh, unique. V-A-N-D-E-W-A-L-L-E. Um, email me, steve at tivacbd.com. That's T-I-V-A-C-B-D.com. Uh, happy to talk to anybody. Love, uh, even if you want to just sit down for coffee and talk about cannabis, love doing it. Love educating people. I love learning. So, um, I'll probably ask a lot of questions, but yeah, feel free to reach out. All right. Until next time, uh, let's hope the state does the right thing and get out and enjoy the, the next couple weeks of winter, everybody. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. All right.